Welcome to episode 28 of the Strength Ratio podcast. Um, your host, as always, Zachary Greenwald, joined with Kyle Klichenko. Hey, guys. You know, I actually didn't want to bring this up here, but I just, I had to say it. Kyle and I might soon be moving in together. Yeah. So I'm, I'm getting married in September. And we always said we didn't want a podcast when I hit the end from the beginning. This just kind of came out. Like right when I hit, I hit play. But I'm getting married in September. And the joke has always been, because Kyle and I have quite the, the friendship, that not only will my fiance be marrying me, but she'll also be marrying Kyle. Well, now we'll all be living in the same house, under the same roof. Yes. Not, not literally. It's uh, two separate places, but one's the basement and one's the the upper half. But that's literally the same house. Yeah, it's the same house. They're just separated. There's yeah. no, like, uh, it's not like they can go from mine or from theirs to mine without first going outside. But it is But we're, we're basically... <laughs> so I, I just want to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just thought we'd share that with you. Um, why did I bring that up? This is what I live with, huh? Yeah. Okay. Um, last week we spoke about sports supplements and we were going to no two weeks ago we spoke about sports supplements last week there was no podcast because we had technical difficulties we probably should have told you this with eric zobeliski and we were going to talk about nutrition quality and quantity uh for performance uh, we're still having some te technical difficulties um but we'll hopefully be bringing that podcast to you uh, if not next week then in short time but this week, and because our four-year anniversary was not all that long ago, we're going to reflect on perhaps what we've done well, what we've perhaps changed our minds on, and why, and acknowledge where things might change in the future. And if you hear any growling in the back, it's because my dog is not being too cooperative, but I think we'll be okay. Um, we made a post on Instagram and it led with, we used to focus a lot of attention on exercise selection, exercise correlation, and in quotes, muscle imbalances with the emoji guy putting his hands up in the air. Like, what does that mean? But that's uh, really what we led with. And without further ado, we're just going to kind of dive into exercise selection, exercise correlation, and muscle imbalances because this is where we put a very big emphasis in the beginning, four years ago. So Kyle, do you want to speak about what we were thinking, why we put such an emphasis on exercise correlations and uh, what our exercise selection philosophy looked like? Well, I think uh, a lot of it came from injury prevention at the time or injury rehab. Uh, that was what we dealt with and um, what we thought could help help people, and we did help a lot of people that way. Uh, I think also the, also the idea was it, it might not have been what was effective in us helping people. Yes, it could have been more of the fatigue management as we've learned now. Um, but I think that's where it came from. And also, I think for me at least, there was a sense of because um, I was still in college at the time uh, when I was just a young buck, which I'm not anymore. At the Old yes. age of 24, <laughs> um, is 
I think, and everyone's had this, it's almost like that shiny object syndrome. And people usually get it for programming, programming hopping. But I also think for myself, it was trying to find why am I not as strong or as good in certain areas uh, as others. And this kind of muscle balance um, thing was what I thought would help. Um, and it was like kind of the weakness, uh, but it wasn't. And when we talk about excess correlations and what we'll uh, define now as muscle imbalances pertains to having the primary emphasis of a quote unquote rehabilitation plan or training plan be targeted at your quote unquote weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And while the Russians in weightlifting have uh, made observations around average percentages of their elite athletes, uh, front squats to back squats and snatch to clean and jerks. We, sorry, the dog, we learned that that philosophy could be expanded to any and all exercise so that you can draw these correlations of relative strengths and weaknesses across different pushing and pulling exercises and between different lifting and squatting exercises, which in theory was kind of cool, I guess, but it really ended at that, which is theoretical. Um, I saw a great post from Jordan of Barbell Medicine where he was trying to uh, kind of debunk this whole optimal push-pull ratio. And he said, you know, like mechanistically and on a structural level, the protein filaments that can, or that have to operate to produce a muscular action is all a pull. These, well, and these, the way that our, our, our levers work. Yeah. yeah. It, everything everything, like, pulls, everything yeah. pulls to create movement. Uh, and if that doesn't make sense, uh, maybe YouTube sliding filament theory. Uh, and I think that might make a little bit more sense if you just type that in. Which is something that uh, you learn quite soon in anatomy or oh yeah, this is like you know your first the first chapter the basic he, physiology yeah the way he applied it and, made a lot of sense yes and and, and uh, if everything is a pull but we're creating these without any like really good research and in fact there was no research at all uh, we were creating these percentages as for what someone ought to do relative to another exercise to stay healthy. It was just really missing the boat because ultimately this was a conversation about exercise selection that just be, basically was our overarching principle to everything, this idea of improving weaknesses. And uh, we really do think that our, our take on improving weaknesses at the moment is a lot more uh, simple. I'd say simple and uh, more strategic in terms of when they're applied throughout the plan and depending on the athlete and things. So perhaps if you can speak more on that, are you saying as it pertains to their specific goal? So like someone's uh, has a result from a competition or an energy system that's been lacking and is just evident by whatever competition that mm -hmm. produces this result, that the competition is your clear metric as for how they have to perform and then yeah. you work that in training? not like correlations of yeah. someone's abilities within different exercises or within different energy systems respectively. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so 
we used to say that our programming was about muscle imbalances. We really don't know what that means anymore. Um, if ever you're fearful that your squat is not balanced with your deadlift, if you perform those uh, lifts respectively, uh, each with, or if you perform each with good technique and apply good fatigue management principles to each exercise respectively, it probably doesn't matter the difference between the two. I mean, you just don't want to be walking around with huge quads and no ass, so you would probably do some deadlifting and not just squatting. And then it would also hinder you from a performance standpoint if you did that. Say if you were a weightlifter and you never did pulls, your pulls, your first pull would be affected. Or if you were a powerlifter, you would just have a crappy deadlift. Well, we're, we're realizing now that that's not even on our radar. Really, We're going to hit all exercises, although our frequency of uh, exercises, or sorry, our, our kind of exercise library, not frequency, our exercise library uh, has kind of been tidied up a little bit. We've cleaned out some stuff that was maybe a little too fancy and have stuck with not just the, the basics, but enough to have people enjoy it mm -hmm. and have fun. Yeah, I, I think um, one thing <clears throat> I tend to think about a lot more, uh, especially in terms of accessory work and um, so-called imbalances, is I feel like people tend to think that, or what you often see on Instagram, is like this fancy movement that fix, fixes an imbalance. And then they'll catch your attention because it yeah. breaks up the, the, yeah. this thumb scroll. Yeah, like, what is this person doing? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh, and then, and then people tend to be like, oh, that sounds like something I might have. Mm -hmm. um, but really, what I tend to think about more now is what what's the magnitude of stimulus that can be caused there? So sometimes with these fancy exercises, it's so light um, or so, like, such an awkward movement that when you first do it, it's going to feel just weird just because of that reason. Uh, but it's probably not going to actually cause much actual structural changes in the body to help you um, quote-unquote fix what your problem is, let's say. Like a banded dead bug. Yes. Yeah. Just to give an example. Yes. Uh, you have to think about what is the stimulus that I can impose here to cause a change um, and can and also overload it and can this movement be overloaded in a safe manner uh, and can it be heavy enough to where it's challenging? And when we look back on some of the stuff we were doing, they, like we were heavily uh, into one-sided exercises. And we probably were loading some of those exercises up inappropriately mm -hmm. or, you, or using dumbbells with too great of load. And, and where this whole kind of like side-to-side imbalance comes from is – still kind of more theoretical. Like we've had a podcast on muscular, uh, gosh, did we call it muscular? We, we titled the podcast that we can't even define what it means. But we spoke about basically side to side imbalances and, and really trying to reduce fear mongering around that kind of, that, that kind of speak. But uh, a lot of research that has looked into the differences in say muscular EMG, and we're not gonna get into why EMG might not be like the best, to figure out what's going on uh, from uh, a muscular standpoint as it might pertain to your performance or 
what changes you'd make to your program. Uh, it's really all we have to go off of. But if I test an EMG on one part of my body and then another, these are all in controlled settings. It's uh, If you're looking at the quads, you're not looking at a split squat or a lunge. You're looking at uh, strapped into a seat and you're extending your knee as hard as you can. It's like a seated leg extension. So, you know, in a laboratory setting, you're looking at single joint movements to look at these quote unquote imbalances. However, when we're in the gym, it's it, it doesn't look like that. Like you're not gonna injure yourself doing seated knee extensions, but when you're doing squats and we have these thoughts of, well, my left leg is showing up on EMG X percent greater than my right, well, it's with a barbell back squat, it might not even matter because you just can't really even study that. Does that make sense? Hopefully that made sense to you guys. Um, but you know, it is nice to have unilateral exercises written into your program, but in no way uh, should the lack of unilateral exercises or the fear of one side being stronger than another uh, cause you any concern. Yes. Uh, and, and actually speaking to that, um, uh, what you said before, like on Instagram, you see these exercises that are either the cure for something or the, like they're going to lead to your, your best performance output uh, or they will simultaneously cure all of the pains you've had. Yeah. But there's no such thing, uh, right? There, there are no special exercises. And oftentimes what we've, especially as we've learned and, and seen what good research has to say, I saw just today on clinical athlete, they looked at uh, a neutral spine in a squat. You can't maintain a neutral spine if there's some uh, rounding of the pelvis or tucking of the pelvis with loads that are 50% of your body weight in a squat. Like you can't help that. Yeah. So we've kind of realized, okay, these exercise correlations and these, these ratios, muscle imbalances, that you can kind of throw that out the window. Yeah. And as for the mechanistic things that might look like bad technique, well, it might not be as black and white as we thought. Well, I think uh, like uh, a lot of those exercises are kind of a shiny object syndrome again, because you have something that you perceive is wrong or bad, uh, and then you want the fix, uh, but you're constantly trying to ch you're changing all the time how you're fixing it. Um, where you probably have to sit with something for a long time to actually see if it's if it's getting the effect that you want. Uh, you know, you have to do whatever exercise you're doing for, you know, probably a whole cycle, you know, mm -hmm. anywhere from six to 12 weeks to see if it actually made the change that you wanted it to make. Um, yeah, so I'd say at a whole, our exercise selection um, and our look at muscular imbalances or, or ratios between lifts has just gotten much more simple. Um, I still think about some of the ratios sometimes, uh, but it's only if someone's way... Sometimes when I'm alone, I still think about it. I write it <laughs> in my, my diary. Um, but uh, it's like a long loss. <laughs> uh, Is the front squat 85% of the back squat or 89? I do yeah. sleep. No, it's just that if there's something like way off, um, like if someone can back squat 500, but their deadlift's like 150, I don't know. 
<laughs> impossible. <laughs> like just by way of being it's that strong. Truly impossible. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that speaks to the point. Yeah. Like, but totally. I but I but I tend to look much less at that and much more at the movement patterns. I would say. So like, if they do deadlift, um, what's happening? Uh, what does their technique look like? Uh, are they experiencing any pain? And then a lot of these things, I think, come back to like the range of motion tests that we always use. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if someone is having some sort of chronic injury, where you can see something like they're not getting short with uh, a challenging back squat, but with like 30% deadlift, they're getting short, Yeah, uh, which is showing that that area has been sensitive or, or uh, challenging or whatever you want to call it. That's when you would say, okay, like we just need to, to pay attention to this. Um, yeah, so I'd say in a whole, just much, much more simple and exercise selection, keeping things much more meat and potatoes, um, not any, any, anything that seems uh, fancy, um, and uh, I, I, yeah, I, and, and not really thinking about the amount or muscular ratios as much. And another thing that we had, I think, too uh, simple without any variety here, which is actually an area where we needed more variety, is that our approach to programming was a squat is always paired with a pull because if you were to do like a, a, a lift, like a deadlift and a remaining deadlift with like a pulling exercise, it'd be too much. But even then, that's that's not true, right? Mm-hmm. So we were confined to thinking, oh, well, a squat can only go with a pull and, and then you film with a cardio piece. And then a, we were kind well, of- Or I even think trying then, to balance a, a squat, a pull, lift, push, making sure they're all- um, across the week getting the same amount of time. So yeah. like if you if you were to do two squats per week, you have to have two uh, lifts per week or two pulls or two pushes. Like everything has mm-hmm. to be balanced. But then I, I think where we were thinking squat, pull, lift, push, we're now thinking, okay, well, who's our athlete? Yeah. We might actually want to overload certain aspects of the same muscle groups mm-hmm. in the same – What uh, strengths and weaknesses do they have? What's their sport? Yeah. Things like that, yeah. Uh, so, and then you, you get into so much more, like programming can become limitless when you're not yeah. confined by this type of, uh, uh, I, I want to say guru-like, purely theoretical type stuff. Uh, are we doing upper-lower splits? Are we doing some kind of periodized within a microcycle hypertrophy power strength split? Yeah. Are we doing a strength and power split. Oh, I mean, there's just so many possibilities that are rooted in, does the program create an adaptation that is favorable for your clients based on their goals? That's old, That's what we have to do. Yeah. I, I, I do think one good thing that came from kind of this uh, history of being more balanced or looking at these things is that we take much more of a long-term approach to programming, uh, and we do, um, uh, how can I best say this, take much more of a long-term approach, and when looking at an athlete, we don't just give them a very sports-specific training plan right yeah, out so of the gate. I, that's so true, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I'm saying about that? Yeah. I mean, like, just it, because you're a weightlifter doesn't mean you can only do these things that weightlifters do. Yep, so we were able to help weightlifters because we had them do cardio and do other exercises, yes. which we still do. So yeah. that was a huge benefit. Actually, let's let's be that, let's be political. Let's be yeah. diplomatic here. So it definitely expanded our exercise selection outside of what 
single sport athletes were yeah. used to to keep them healthy and prevent overuse. And and a lot of and I think helped us take from different um, uh, domains. Uh-huh. So like, okay, what are these people doing that helps them? What are these people doing that helps them? So we combined a lot more things so that way when we came to like any kind of athlete, we could work with them uh, in a much better extent, feel healthy, but also increase their performance. Cool. Um, What are the primary exercises, and we can break this down per muscle group, that we use and do we force everyone to perform them the same way or is there variation? So let's start with the basic movements that almost all of our athletes will see. Oh, well, I think it is. So you're, like, if you want to talk like the compound primaries. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean that's really it. Is that, I mean, change is trying to sport, but you're always going to see a back squat or any kind of squatting variation, deadlift, multiple deadlift variations, uh, um, a vertical push uh, or a horizontal push. So vertical would be like a shoulder press or pressing. Horizontal would be bench press or any of those. And then also a vertical or horizontal row. Um, so, uh, or, or pull. Or pull, sorry. Uh, yeah, that's what I meant. A vertical or horizontal pull. So things like uh, vertical like pull-ups or uh, even a high pulls. high pulls. And then horizontal would be any kind of rowing variation. Uh, and then um, I said deadlift, but uh, I meant hinge. Um, so any kind of hinge. So uh, good mornings, RDLs slash different mm-hmm. deadlifts. Uh, another benefit, because we'd still program carries, just yeah, for like, yeah. we, that's something we learned early on yeah. that we still have. Yeah. Um, I think we get a little bit more, because this is more like tertiary, um, it's usually never like a first thing an athlete will do, but we get a little more creative with like ab exercises. Yeah. Right. And glute exercises. Uh, and glute exercises. We have as many more. of our athletes. <laughs> we, and then they have athletes have fun there. Yeah. Um, calf work. Yeah. We never used to program calf work. We do that now. Yeah. Um, if, if I'm just the silence well, is if we're going to make a, a joke about the difference in our calf size, but we'll just go past that. Yeah. Zach, Zach, Zach got quiet there because his calf. I was. I thought you were going to say something. They're getting much, not much. They're getting incrementally bigger. I think. Um. Yeah, I was, I, I was also just going to say something I thought of that came out of our kind of origins was different um, uh, movement patterns in terms of the, what the sport typically sees. So making sure um, people like CrossFitters and weightlifters and powerlifters who are very sagittal playing mm-hmm. get, get some uh, like lateral movements and uh, maybe some rotation every now and then uh, and things like that. And again, that's just coming back to the idea that it did help us expand uh, where we're looking and not just being so sports-specific all the time. Well, yeah, and that, there's that specificity topic, too, where, like, why I mentioned, I kind of posed the question, does everyone squat the same way? No. Yeah. Uh, if some, people, some people just really structurally aren't built to squat deep. Mm-hmm. We're not going to force them to do it. Our powerlifters are going to squat perhaps to a different standard, maybe, maybe not, than our weightlifters. Mm-hmm. Um but no, there, there, there isn't really one way to perform these exercises. Hinging exercises will be performed with varying ranges of motion as the low back arch allows. You know, what I always say is you know, we have these, for any movement, there's like certain technical things that you look at. But 
from there, I pretty much just say whatever feels most comfortable to, to you. So the primaries have primary objectives from a technique standpoint. Yeah. Once you hit those primaries, the rest is and, as feels comfortable. Yeah, and the biggest change is usually with the foot width and uh, hand placement. Then you get into some more advanced type training. Like, yeah. You've been training for a while. and Yeah. Because when you're beginning, when you're in your early stages, you don't want to be mixing things up. Like you said, you don't know if you're going to actually be seeing any improvements that you can yeah. trace back to a notable change or a distinct change. Um, but as you get more advanced, you might mix things up a little bit, like bar path changes in a bench or foot width in a squat. Very cool. Um, let's take our approach to writing out reps and sets. Uh, we used to. What did we used to do? How did we progress people? Uh, well, I know uh, in the beginning, the beginning, beginning. Um, I, I have, I'm, I'm it, yeah. genuinely, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't, it was more about, I don't even know how to explain this. <laughs> we, one, split up the different rep ranges. I think like strength. So we didn't neglect any particular rep range, which is good. But we didn't have any periodization really. So So there was no, um, there was no um, uh, potential. There was no uh, phase potentiation. Yeah, Um, and we would just say, okay, where is someone weakest? So what's their most challenging rep range? Let's say, which was kind of rooted still in theoretical. Yeah, a good example could be like if someone's been. Uh, if, a, if a power lifter has only been doing fives their whole life, they're having knee pain, okay, let's get them to do 20. And, but they can't do 60% of their max for 12 reps, which should be, shouldn't be too challenging. Okay, that's their week in that rep range. Mm-hmm. That's going to make them stronger and feel better. And, and the reason that worked to say if they had pain was because it, it was fatigue management. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't because they were training. Like It wasn't the actual training yeah. of an endurance type set. Yeah. It was less load. Uh-huh. It wasn't as uh, um, the it intensity was high. Yeah, it the wasn't volume. as systemic of a, yeah. a challenge with load. Yeah. So yeah, I think we we did monitor fatigue in certain monitor fatigue in certain ways without realizing that that's why things were working. Um, but while we would kind of dance around these different rep ranges, we now follow something that. Well, it depends for, for each athlete, really. But something that we can always pinpoint as saying, here's the focus of our current cycle, and here's where we'll be heading. And, and that's called phase potentiation. You, do, uh, a, you have a particular style of training that will then improve the outcome of the next phase of training. So you're setting yourself up to succeed. It's not randomized. Uh, we're not going to get into that from a programming uh, standpoint. However, uh, along with that, knowing the adaptation of a particular uh, bout of sets and reps, I think also what has been extremely helpful from a fatigue management standpoint uh, has been the use of reps in reserve or RPE. So whereas once we might have written for a new client two sets of 10, the next week would be three sets of 10. Well, if you progress enough sets and if you bump enough weight, they'll probably be chasing repetitions, meaning that at the expense of losing technique, 
will continue to get more reps because it's simply written there, where now we begin cycles with different rep ranges. So eight to 12 reps, say, this is just totally an example, with three in the tank. And we'll say uh, if rep cadence slows, that's when you stop. Okay, well now we know where we're starting. This is a hypertrophy example. So we wanna add volume over time. We might bump the weight up just fractionally over the course of a mesocycle. So this sense of gaining momentum using RPE and reps in reserve has helped us uh, with mid-rep and high-rep ranges, and also understanding how RPE can be used from uh, a strength standpoint. Uh, Powerlifters have been using RPE forever uh, just to be able to monitor their intensities and to do it sustainably. So we might start off uh, a strength block with three reps in the tank and move from there. So there's a lot... Uh, more that we are being mindful of based on physiological adaptations as well as periodization in that we're going to have the training stressor get harder over time before there's some kind of plan deload all while having in mind what are the athlete's goals and where do we want them to to go yeah yeah um, I think that, that, that did, I, did I did I see that yeah. Really well, and you have nothing else to say, or did I ramble? And you just, I, no, I don't have anything to say after that. I, have, I thought that was really good. Oh, um, okay. So. Oh, wait, uh, no. But um, who specifically have we learned this most from? They don't really care if we mention their names, but we want to be honest about it. Yeah, I would say my, my biggest influencers over the last couple of years um, have been, in terms of people you might know uh, in the fitness industry, uh, who are popular would be like uh, Chad Wesley Smith, Alex Viata, Mike Israel, Eric Helms, Greg Knuckles, Quinn Hanock. Quinn Hanock. Um, I like uh, Max Ada as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, who else can I think of? Um, I always say his name wrong, but I like reading some mm-hmm. of Mike Tashir. Tashir? Tashir stuff? Oh, no, that's not how you say his name. Mike Tashir? It's like Worcestershire sauce. See, I can't say it right. Worcester. Worcester sauce. Worcester. But it says sire at the end. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I like I like a lot of his stuff. And then, of course, uh, uh, Sobo. Um, always being able to ask him questions has, has been super beneficial. Well, I think Sobo's been able to just say, much like uh, Greg we've quoted Greg Knuckles as saying on the show before, that's a nice anecdote you have there, but what does the science say? Yeah. And this kind of leads into the last part of the podcast. And that is where we might head with this. Are you going to add anyone to that though? Um, or did I name everyone? I no. feel like I'm forgetting. Oh, Car- uh, Danny would be one for weightlifting. Uh-huh. Camargo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think you, yeah. you hit it all. Um, high complete hip performance, juggernaut, team 3DMJ, clinical athlete, clinical athlete, renaissance periodization. Pen and paper, guys, write this down. Yeah, renaissance periodization. If you've heard of us, but not those guys, it's kind of messed up. Though. Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess more like some some other people that I pick stuff up from in terms. Uh, oh, no, I, I, I do read a lot of the um, uh, NSCA stuff they have good good basics uh some more crossfit based like i do love i do like some of uh 
like some stuff that Boot Strength puts out, Training Think Tank, they put out some pretty good stuff. Um, I just always try to like, I, I love learning, so um, I always just kind of see what everyone's doing at this point. Uh, even though I have kind of my principles and what I, I like to follow, but I still like to kind of see other people's thought processes and kind of examine them and see where they might be coming from. Mm-hmm. So. I was going to go on to how and why our thoughts might change. And we'll, we'll, we'll end on that. But has, We should also just sum up kind of what our biggest changes have been. We will, we will. Yeah. But uh, has the coach-athlete communication uh, or evolution of that program based on athlete feedback change. You know, I think we've kind of stayed true to writing smaller mesocycles and, and, and in influencing or adjusting weekly, really. Mm-hmm. We haven't written like larger templates for our individual clients. It truly is like week to week, week, yeah. to week based on how they're doing. So that stayed the same. Is there anything else that we've changed? Yeah. In that sense? Or just general philosophy? No. Uh, we covered a lot of the, the programming stuff. And mm-hmm. I think mentally for me, it's just, um, I mean, and this happens in any field, is as soon as you feel like you know, you find what you don't know mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and the more you know, the less you know, kind of idea. Yeah. Um, but then it it really becomes. It is a lot more simple than you think, to get ninety nine percent of the results that you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's very simple things you have to do. Don't keep always searching for the the, you know, the extra special thing that's going to allow you to do something. It really a lot of it comes down to challenging work. Um, well, I, outside of the the principles, yeah. I think another thing that we have taken more seriously and uh, have seen a result in greater longevity for athletes is reactive and proactive deloads. Yeah. So educating people about how to dial back when needed, uh-huh. based on uh, a lack of recovery. Uh-huh and honing in on what actual recovery principles are most important. So that we learned a lot from Renaissance periodization and uh, uh, James, Dr. James Hoffman. Yeah. Um, and then plan deloads. We, ne- we didn't have plan deloads in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so that's definitely something that we've, we've changed too. Uh, so I, I think ourselves being less, like just being very calm if things do happen. Yeah. In terms of like well, I remember when, tweaks we, or pain. when we first started, yeah, every tweak, uh, uh, was like a personal, I've done something, something wrong, wrong to this client. But yeah. when you realize, okay, these things happen, but you can course correct, you can yeah. step back and move forward uh, safely and not just get back to where you once were, but hit PRs again. I think we're a lot, uh, well, I don't think we ever were emotional wrecks in front of our clients, but I think especially now we're very confident that we can help majority of people feel healthier and improve their performance towards a desired goal using all of these principles. Uh, so we'll finish still on, on why things could change and maybe what you predict changing. Uh, but main things is that we have now less uh, need 
to analyze exercise correlations and to even consider muscle imbalances because we, we really don't know what that exactly means anymore. And instead, we put a focus on specific adaptation of choice, and that choice is made by the client for a specific goal. And that's where programs look vastly different from one to the next. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the reason meeting, I, meeting the athlete where they're at and where they want, and then taking them where they want to go. Oh yeah. We're like um, like a, a, a train. I thought you were going to say like a spirit guy, but no, I guess trains. That's right. We were trying to, um, Oh, I, sorry. I kicked my dog and he growled at me. Sorry, Dex. Um, we were trying to talk about how, yeah, we can help people out of pain and, and get back to being healthy, but we can also get people who are maybe who have plateaued and take them to next level levels of performance. And I, I described this. I said, Kyle, you know what it's like? Kyle and Becca, we had a, a team meeting. I said, it's like uh, an escalator where you, you, you get on at two spots. So you go from injured to non-injured, and you can also go from having plateaued to being stronger. And I thought it was the best metaphor ever until I realized that you... And then I said, you can't, well, you can't get on midway through an escalator sack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, but, but yeah, no, I think uh, we're, we're steadily getting better. And uh, really, our, I think our, our athletes and the diversity of uh, like athlete profile that we have helps us learn at maybe a better rate than others. So we don't just work with one type of sport. It's not just healthy. It's not just injured. So we get a good exposure of different case studies and scenarios. Um, so the field of uh, sports science is limited by uh, inherent challenges to studying the human body in motion, let alone when looking at certain uh, performance markers, as well as uh, quite small sample sizes that are featured in uh, exercise research, especially when compared to uh, pharmaceutical studies or medical studies. Um, there, there's a lot of uh, challenge there. So there's still a lot in the field that we don't know, uh, which is why we try to stay up to par on all that we can. So if we were to change, uh, say, our perspectives on how do we get someone as strong as possible, I think our foundations, based on what the field has shown, are there, but there might just be added considerations. Right, so we know that to get strong, you need uh, weight on the bar. Yeah. Will the research show something else that totally changes the game? Probably not, but we might figure out different ways of accomplishing that um, than only just a specific type of rep scheme or sets, if that makes sense. And with hypertrophy research, we know a lot, but there's still a good amount that we don't know. And as for endurance, we acknowledge that we really don't we, – we're definitely much better than we were in terms of our basic physiological understandings and applications and programming. But we do feel like that's where the larger fitness field is lacking that's really strong 
well experienced and well uh, scientifically literate coach. Yes. Alex is kind of on the fence. Right. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I would just agree. I don't have any thoughts there, actually. You've been agreeing too much this podcast. Well, thank you guys for not having listened for four years because we've only had this going for the past however many months. Uh, but a sincere thank you for those who've been with us for those four years. Um, we uh, cannot thank you enough and hope that you continue listening for many years more. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, just feel free to leave them on Facebook. Shoot us a direct message on Instagram. Go to our website, find our personal emails, and harangue us there. Uh, but that is all for episode 28, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, guys.